0: If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 16 this morning, and uh, if you've been with us, <clears throat> excuse me, we we just finished a series called "Unconventional Wisdom" uh, on the kind of through the Book of Ecclesiastes a little bit. Some of you guys will be like, you're excited. We're not in that anymore because maybe you're a little depressed. Um, so that's where we were. Next week we are going to do a little. Little VBS kickoff of sorts, so you guys get to be a part of that. Okay, it's gonna be fun. And then the week after that, we're gonna start another short series to take us through the month of July, which I'm really excited about, which leaves us with today as a standalone sermon. So now here's, here's what that means, though. It's we're kind of looking at the logistics of the planning. We got two campuses trying to coordinate messages uh, because of some logistical matters. This week became a standalone. Uh, message which means I got the green light to just preach on whatever I wanted to preach on which is dangerous right, No, I was kidding all right no for real like in one sense it's like this is going to be awesome not right? just whatever whatever I want right just take it preach on it and then in the other sense it's kind of like sending a kid into a candy shop and saying you get one thing all right, because I've got the whole Bible, the whole Word of God right here, and I've got to pick like one passage, one scripture, one idea, and, and that's what I get. So uh, that's what I'm going to try, and we're going to see how it goes. All right, because the one thing I, I kept coming back to is just uh, like one specific verse from Matthew 16. We're going to look at the whole passage in just a minute, but uh, here's, here's my goal this morning. I'm going to give you my goal up front, which is a little dangerous because if I don't meet that goal, you're going to know it. Uh, but but here's my goal: is that we would leave here this morning uh, with a little more courage and a little more confidence as the Church of Jesus Christ. That's my goal. It's not super practical, right? It's not like hands-on. Like it's not a to-do list. It's just I hope that when you leave here this morning, you leave with a little more courage, a little more confidence. A little more emboldened as the people of God. That's my hope this morning. So, that's what uh, that's what I'm going to try to do. Uh, if if you leave with a little more courage and confidence, then I'll consider that a win. If you don't, come back next week and we'll try it again. Okay. So, Matthew chapter 16. Let's read it together, starting in verse 13. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. So to set the scene a little bit, uh, what you've got is Jesus and his disciples have just arrived at the uh, the district of Caesarea Philippi, and uh, apparently there was some chatter going on about who is this Jesus guy, right? Some word had gotten around, uh, maybe they'd seen some things, they'd heard some things, and so Jesus asked his disciples, hey, what's the, what's the word on the street? Right, who do the people say that I am? And so his, his disciples uh, reply, right? They say, hey, according to what we're hearing, people think you are like some reiteration of John the Baptist. You are maybe like Elijah or, or, or Jeremiah, one of the prophets that uh, has come to be the forerunner for the Messiah. That's, that's kind of what we're hearing on the streets, Okay. And so then Jesus flips the the question and he puts it all the focus on his disciples, right? Because he says, who do you say that I am? Which is a significant question. It's a question we all have to answer. But I think it's even more significant when you consider who he asked the question to. He's he's not talking to a bunch of randos on the street corner. He's talking to his disciples. These were men that, had walked with him, ministered with him, had served alongside him, had witnessed his his miracles and his signs and healings, like they'd seen that stuff, and yet Jesus still asked this group of men, okay, that's what they're saying, but who do you say that I am? That's that's significant. And the implication there, uh, this is not the point of the sermon, but I think there's an implication we have to acknowledge here, one that Jesus, I think, is acknowledging here, Is that it's it's possible to kind of be around the things of Jesus, to kind of know the things of Jesus, uh, and to not actually have put your stake in the ground on who you believe Jesus is. And so I think that's a question that that we've all got to answer in this room, right? Now, Now I get it. You guys are here, right? You're attending. If you're a guest, we're glad you're here. But you guys are you're part. Listen, it's Fourth of July weekend. It's a long weekend, and you guys are still here. Like you're the few and the proud. Right, But still, like, that's who the disciples were, and Jesus still prompts the question to them. So the question is for you. Who do you say that Jesus is? Right? Is, he, uh, is he a wise teacher that has some good things to say? Or is he Lord? Right? Is, he, is he a good example worth following? Right? He teaches some things that would be good for us to kind of shape our lives around? Or is he more than that? Is he the Lord who uh, has been given all authority? And because of that, is worthy of honor, glory, worship, praise, obedience. Right? When you think of Jesus and you say, who is Jesus? Is he just some sort of ethereal, uh, feel-good, like whenever I'm having a bad day, I let him take the wheel like Carrie Underwood? Or... Is he the risen Savior who was crucified for your sin? Who is Jesus? Who do you say that he is? That's a question you got to answer. You can't get around that this morning. Even if you are committed, you're here. Who is Jesus? So again, that's not ultimately the the point of the passage, but it is a question you can't ignore. All right, so... Who is Jesus? That's the question that, that Jesus asked his disciples. Who do you say that I am? It's a question that we've got to answer, but then uh, it goes on, right? The, the narrative goes on, and, and Peter responds to the question. Right? He says, Here, here's, here's who you are. Uh, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right? Now, if you know anything about Peter, got a sketchy track record when it comes to just like impulse responses. Right? He's Sometimes he gets it right. Sometimes he just sticks his foot in his mouth. That's what he does. All right, I, I, I identify with Peter more than I should, okay? Um, but one of the things that, that's like, like even just a few verses later, right here, you've got Peter saying, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are the son of God. And then like in my Bible, it's about mm, six inches later, Peter says something that makes Jesus respond to him and say, hey, get behind me, Satan. Like it's just a, If Jesus refers to you as Satan probably not your best day right so but here like Peter he nails it right and and he nails it not because of his own wisdom not because of his own knowledge not even because he's what he's witnessed and what he's seen but but Jesus says he nails it because God has clearly revealed to Peter the fullness of who Jesus is Jesus is the Christ the Messiah, the one who had come to save God's people from their sins. Right, That's who Peter says Jesus is, which brings us to the one verse that I want to kind of spend the rest of our time working through this morning, right? Verse 18, and, and here's, here's why I want to spend our time on this verse. Here's why I, like, my mind kept coming back to this verse is because I think if we believed what this verse said, like really believed it in the depths of our, like in our guts, I I think it would shake some things up. I I think it would change who we are as the church of Jesus Christ if we get this into our bones. So that's what I'm hoping that, that the Spirit might begin to do in us this morning. So here it is, verse 18. I'm going to read it again. We're going to spend the rest of our time together on this verse. This is Jesus responding to Peter. He says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So a couple of contextual questions we need to answer real quick about this verse. One is, what is the church? Right? Jesus says, uh, On this rock I'm going to build my church. If we're talking about what Jesus is building here, it's probably important we know what it is. Okay? We don't have a full, we don't have time to go into like a full discussion about what the church is, what the church uh, does, right? That's beyond the scope of the time that we had this morning. But uh, what we can gather from the word church here, it's the word ecclesia in the original language, uh, which basically just means an assembly or gathering. So what Jesus is talking about here is. He says, I'm going to build a, a, a gathering or an assembly of people who belong to me. Right? I'm going to build my church. Right? So the church is just a, a, a gathering, gathering, an assembly of people who belong to Jesus Christ. All right? So that's first question we've got to answer. Second question what is this rock? Right? What is, if, if on the rock, if, this, if Jesus is going to build his, Church on the rock. Probably important we know what the rock is. Okay? And, and this has been a subject of debate through church history for thousands of years. Okay? I, I was tempted to go into a, you know, kind of different, differentiate between what the Catholic viewing of this is, more Protestant view. We don't have time for that. Uh, but, but here's what I would say. Uh, we can have that conversation another time. The rock that Jesus is is going to build his church on is the people of God proclaiming the gospel of God. All right, that's that's kind of the the summary of it. Okay? Now that began with Peter. Right? Peter hears the rock that Jesus is going to build his church on. Uh, you know, if you, if you've read any of the New Testament, Peter had a significant influence on the growth of the church. Right? In Acts 2, Peter preaches a sermon, like not definitely not a seeker friendly sermon, right? It's it's Peter. Uh, you should go read it sometime. Peter in Acts two, basically just like, hey, you guys killed Jesus. Uh, that was a mistake, but Jesus used it to redeem, create a people for Himself. Uh, you guys need to repent, and then like thousands of people get saved, right? So Peter had a significant part in the growth of the early church, but Peter is not ultimately the rock. That the church is built on, which is kind of more of the Catholic understanding, because man that Jesus is still building his church today, as the people of God continue to proclaim the gospel of God to the ends of the earth. All right? So we've got the church gathering, gathering I don't know why that word is so hard for me to say this morning. It should probably slow down when I talk. I'm just excited. We've got the church, the gathering or assembly of God's people. We've got the rock which is the the proclamation of the gospel that Jesus is going to build his church on, which brings us to kind of my three points for this morning. Now, here's the deal. You guys know me. I'm not a point guy, right? Very rarely do I have like three clear points. Probably makes me a bad Baptist, but here we are, okay? Very rarely do I have three points, but I've, I've actually got three for you this morning that I think just pop right off the page, from this verse. All right, so three points. We'll get to the first two pretty quickly, and then we'll kind of linger a little bit on the third point. So here's the first point. The church belongs to Jesus. All right, let's read verse 18 again. It says, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. These are Jesus' words. The church belongs to Jesus. Right, it is His and His alone. So let me give you some sort of biblical language to kind of tease that out a little bit. Um, the, the church is referred to several things kind of throughout the Bible, but but one of the I'm going to give you the two sort of main ones that we see. Right, the first the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. Right, which means uh, it is his highest priority. Right? In in, in a biblical marriage, right, the, the the highest priority for a man is his wife. Right? Yes, over and above the children. Your priority is your wife. And so the bride of Christ means that, that the church is Jesus' highest priority. Right? It, he loves the church. He sacrificed himself. For the church, right? He is still working to build his church. We'll get to that point here in just a minute. All right? It is his highest priority. Right? The church belongs to Jesus Christ. Um, and and listen, this is just kind of a little caveat here. I think the fact that uh, the church is the bride of Christ, it belongs to Christ. Like, should we should consider that before we pop off with our uh, all the problems and, and concerns and criticisms of the church today? Now. I'm not saying the church is perfect, right? You just read the headlines, good grief. Like there's some shocking things that goes on in churches, right? The church is not perfect. The church will never be perfect on this side of eternity. If you find a perfect church by some crazy circumstances, like don't join it because you'll screw it up, all right? The church is not perfect, right? It's, the church has done plenty to deserve its fair share of, of, of criticism, over the years. But at the end of the day, it's still the church and it still belongs to Jesus Christ. It's still the bride of Christ. And I just don't know too many guys that take kindly to people uh, defaming their brides. Right? The church belongs to Jesus Christ. It's his bride, but it's also his body. Right? The church is the body of Christ. We see that throughout Scripture, which means that uh, if you kind of follow the language through the Bible, we are the body of Christ, but he is the head of the body. Right? I don't know. Again, I'm not a doctor, not that kind of doctor, but the, the head, the brain, it kind of controls everything else. Right? Okay. Some of you are like, yes, that seems to be the case. Okay. Right? And, and so it is with, with the church. All right, this is language of authority. The church is the body of Christ. Christ is the head. We are the body. As the head, he calls the shots. He's in control. Right, it's, it's, we do things his way to the best of our ability that we know from Scripture. All right now, listen. Does he entrust leadership of his church to others? Yes. That's kind of why I'm here. You know, right? Jesus does entrust leadership to others, but it's temporary and it's stewardship, right? Any, any leadership, any uh, oversight that I might have as your pastor is, is temporary, I'll be held accountable for it, right? which is a sobering thing. To know that one day I'm going to stand in front of Jesus Christ and give an account for how I led and shepherded and loved his most prized position. All right, so the church belongs, all this I want you to see is that the church belongs to Jesus. All right, here's the second point not only does the church belong to Jesus, the church is built by Jesus. Look again at verse 18. Again, I tell you, Peter, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Again, this is Jesus talking. Jesus says to Peter, I will build my church. So uh, if by some chance you've been living under a rock for the last little bit, Uh, this area is about to explode population. All right, we've got industries coming in. Uh, we're going to have lots of jobs. Uh, I'll let you in on, it's not really a secret, but I don't know if you know it or not, the, the 30 acres right outside that door right there is being rezoned as residential uh, area. 30 acres. Uh, Tommy and I got curious this week when we saw the guy surveying, so we just went out there and talked to him. I was like, hey, what's going on here? It's amazing what you can find out when you just start asking questions. All right, we're, we're about to have a bunch of neighbors right here, and then on down Hutcherson Lane, which is the way that I come in here every day. There's a cornfield out there that's about to be rezoned for residential. We're about to have a lot of people as our neighbors. We're about to have a, a lot of people. Um, and and again, maybe some of you guys are like, nope, oh, there's too many people in E-Town. Don't like it. Okay. I, okay. Maybe there is. I feel that way when I try to go to Chick-fil-A, but... Other than that, I'm like, to me, it's exciting, man. We're about to have like hundreds, if not thousands of new neighbors within a seven iron from this building. So, like we, There's a ton of potential and opportunity there, right? There's, there's opportunity. Listen, there's opportunity for growth. I think there's tremendous potential for growth here. And I hope that happens. We're going to work and, and labor and plan and scheme to hopefully See that happen. I've told you guys before my parking lot prayer when I, I walk in here I, some of you guys remember it some of you guys haven't been here in a while, or that wasn't right. Some of you guys have not been here since I've talked about it. Um, like when I walk in the parking lot here every Sunday, one of the things I do that that I go park in the back corner and I walk to the front door, and every time I just walk in and I'm like, "Lord, I hope one day you'll fill this parking lot with cars with men, women, families, children here to worship you, to hear about you, to learn about you, and to be sent back out into the world to tell others about you. And I pray that happens, obviously. And we're going to work and labor and serve and hopefully see that happen. But at the end of the day, like I'm I'm not the one that's going to build this church. At the end of the day, you're not the one that's going to build this church. Because Jesus... Builds his church. Now, I'm not saying we sit here and do nothing. Because I think the Lord works through the efforts of his people. I think we see that all throughout the Bible. God works through the efforts of his people. But ultimately, it's it's Jesus that's going to build his church. Because if it's just us and our potential and our uh, abilities and our powers and our capacities, all we're going to do is build a crowd but only Jesus can build his church. Right? Because the church is built on the people of God proclaiming the gospel of God. Right? And through that effort, through our effort, Jesus calls and saves and redeems and restores people, brings them into his church. Jesus builds his church. So, the church belongs to Jesus. The church is built by Jesus. And then here's kind of the third point that I want to sort of uh, linger in for a little bit this morning. The church prevails through Jesus. All right, the church prevails through Jesus. Look again at verse 18. I know we've read it three or four times already, but again, I'm trying to get it in your bones. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. So, like, this is going to be a generalization, a stereotype, I understand that, I'm acknowledging that up front, but like most guys, I love war movies, okay? My favorite war movie ever is Forrest Gump. You laugh because some of you guys are like, "I don't think that's a war movie." Man, you're wrong. Okay, it is. It's an everything movie. It's a war movie. It's a sports movie. It's a love story. That's why it's the best movie of all time. Again, maybe you push back on that. You disagree. Again, it's free country. Fourth of July. You're 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 entitled to be wrong. Okay. So, anyways, that was unnecessary. For. For all the war movies that I've watched, which is a lot because, again, I love war movies, here's one thing I've never seen. I have never seen a soldier running into combat reach for his gate to go to war. Because, right, that's not what gates are for. I've seen soldiers grab, you got guns, You've got cannons, depending on the, the era of the, of the movie, right? You've got tanks. You've got Maverick and Goose and their jets, right? You've got all this stuff to go to war with. Nobody grabs a gate whenever they're thinking of taking on the enemy. Like, all right, let's get this gate and go get them. Because a gate is defensive, a defensive mechanism by nature. Right? A gate is meant to keep what's going on out there from happening in here. Right? A, a gate is meant to stop the, the uh, opposing attacking or, or, or army on the offense from, from getting in here. That's what a gate does. So by implication, I mean look at what Jesus is saying here. He's saying he's building his church and the gates of hell will not stand against his church. Which means, read between the lines, hell is playing defense. Which again, by implication means the church is on offense. Right? Jesus, Jesus when, he, when he institutes his church, right? this is, I don't remember if I said this earlier or not. This is the first time he references his church in Scripture. First time the church kind of shows up on the map. Jesus is like, hey, on this rock, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. So from the onset, Jesus envisioned his church as being like on the attack, on the offense, not huddled over in the corner like afraid of what's going on. The church is meant to be on offense, Right? The church is meant to pummel the gates of the enemy. That's what the church is meant to do. But it doesn't, you look around right now, it doesn't, it doesn't feel like that, does it? Like when you, you look around at what's going on in the world, like it doesn't feel, maybe it's because of the things I read, I don't know. It doesn't feel like that's what the church is. So I, I read an article this week, like I read an article this week that said since around, around the year 2000, so about the last 20 or so years, people who, the, the number of people who uh, belong to or, or at least acknowledge they belong to a church has decreased from 70% to under 50%. This is people who identify as belonging to or, or members of a church. Right? And this is just like a, a research poll. Like they're not, they're just taking people at their word. Right? They're not even like following through with them to make sure they actually are members of the church. So by being here this morning and acknowledging, like, if, if you're here on a consistent basis, you are in the minority. Isn't that kind of crazy? Maybe we don't feel that because we kind of live in Bible Belt rural Kentucky, right? But you're in the minority. It doesn't, that doesn't feel like a church that's, that's pummeling the gates of the enemy. Right? Or, let's go ahead and get controversial. I'm feeling frisky. Think of the, the cultural issues that the church has historically held very distinct positions on. We could, we could talk gender, sexuality, Abortion, It feel, I don't know if you feel it, but when I scroll through the news feed to hold a position that the church has held through its entirety, a biblical position, I would argue, on these issues, like to hold that perspective, the one that the culture says like makes us, uh, at, at best, out of date, out of touch with reality, or at worst, hate-filled bigots. Like, it doesn't feel like the church is playing offense, does it? Kind of, like, it kind of feels like we're constantly just having to defend the attacks from everywhere else, right? And so, man, there's, there's a very real temptation in that sort of space. When you look at sort of the cultural landscape and just say, like, Man, what is going on here? There's a very real temptation to feel anxiety and fear and concern and worry and doubt. Right? When you think about what the future of the church might be, right? I, mean, I don't know if you feel it. I feel it. I've given my life to this. Like I don't have any other skills, man. I stand up and preach and teach and talk. That's like all I've done for the last 10 years. And so I, I feel a little antsy when I look at what the future of the church might be. But it's in that space that I think that's where we need this verse more than any space, right? I told you I wanted to build your courage and confidence this morning. Not me. I want the Spirit of God to give you some courage and confidence this morning. And courage and confidence are not found in the absence of fear. Right? Where there's no fear, there's no need to be courageous. Right? Where there's no anxiety. You don't have to do courageous things because you're just like, "meh, it is what it is. But it's in this space where you look at it, what's going on and you're like, my goodness, what is happening here? It's in this space that, that I think this verse hits us in a a special way because courage and confidence are not found in the absence of fear they're not found in the absence of worry and, and doubt courage and confidence come when we, we see what's happening and yet we know we believe we trust that there is something bigger better grander something more substantive for us to find our footing in which is exactly what we have here in verse 18 a promise from the risen Savior, right? I mean, he wasn't risen at this point, but, but we know now that Jesus, who would go on to predict his death and predict his resurrection, promises, hey, I'm building my church, and come what may, the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Right, like, Come what may, the church will prevail because the resurrected Jesus is building his church. Right? Now, listen while Jesus' promise is more than enough for us to trust, more than enough for us, like we don't need anything else, it's a promise we can believe and trust. While that's enough, we actually do have some historical evidence that Jesus meant what he said, because when Jesus spoke these words, right, first century Jerusalem surrounding areas were under the rule of a Roman Empire. Right? The the, I know it's Fourth of July. We're celebrating how awesome America is, but man, America doesn't hold a candle to what the Roman Empire was. I mean, it ruled all of the known world. Power, military force, like authority over everything. Like just a few years after this, so so Romans kind of tolerated the Jewish people and kind of the early, just just kind of tolerated what was going on. But it wasn't long after these words, after Jesus was ascended to heaven, it, it wouldn't be long until that same Roman empire would be hell bent on destroying the church. Right, they, they fed Christians to lions, beheaded them, crucified them, arrested them, burned them alive. And that would continue for, it would continue for a while. But the church of Jesus Christ never stopped proclaiming the gospel. They never stopped, uh, remember that rock we talked about, the church is built on? They, they, they never stopped with the message. And now, 2,000 years later, the church of Jesus Christ is gathered here and down the street and to the corners of the world. And you read about the Roman Empire in your history books. And because the church of Jesus Christ will prevail. Right? My, my, my guess is that in those moments when, when the early church was being persecuted in ways that we can't wrap our heads around, my guess is when they looked out at that, they, did, they didn't feel like they were pummeling the gates of hell. But yet Jesus remained faithful to his promise so that 2,000 years later we might gather as the church and you can, if you got some cash flow, you can go on your European vacation and walk through the Roman ruins. All right, so here's, here's where I kind of want to set this down this morning. And then we're going to sing, we're going to receive the Lord's Supper, and go on. Here's, this is going to feel a little provocative, but hang with me, okay? Um, so this is a weekend we celebrate, the 4th of July, which is incredible. I love watching things blow up in the sky, okay? Um. My young children don't love it as much. If you have pets, they probably don't love it at all. But, but we celebrate our, our freedom, our independence, which is a good and right thing for us to do. Right, praise the Lord that we live in a place where we have the freedoms uh, that we do. Some of you guys fought for those freedoms. You jumped out of planes for those freedoms. You landed on, on uh, battleships for those freedoms. You flew helicopters Those are important. We acknowledge that. We celebrate that. And we thank you for your service towards that. But at the end of the day, there will come a day when America no longer exists. Maybe it's on this side of eternity. Who knows what the future holds? Maybe it's after Jesus comes back and makes all things new and right. But there will be a day when America no longer exists any nation for that matter. But the one thing that will exist forever, throughout all eternity, is the church of Jesus Christ. Right? The, the gathering, the assembly of people that belong to Jesus. Like, you know there's no real threat to us, right? There's no real worldly threat to the church of Jesus Christ. There's no political force, there's no military force, there's no legislation, there's no uh, cultural changes. Like, none of those are really a threat. Might they be inconvenient? Yeah. Might they present some challenges and obstacles? Yeah. I think we're seeing that right now. But, but there's, there's nothing that's a real threat to the church of Jesus Christ. So... The only, and the reason I can say it is because the only real threat to the church of Jesus Christ was, was defeated 2,000 years ago at the cross of Jesus Christ. The only real threat has been fatally wounded. Right, to use the language of, of Genesis 3, the, the only real enemy to the church of Jesus Christ, his head's already been crushed. Right, now, he's still firing off some, some rounds, Right? He's, still, he's still connecting on a few. still taking some casualties. Right? But he's, he's wounded, fatally wounded. And so when you look out at kind of the, what's going on in the world around us and, and you feel that sort of that anxiety begin to flare up, that, that tension, maybe a little bit of worry, a little bit of fear about Man, what, is, what does this mean for me? What does this mean for the church? What is, as a Christian, what do I do about this? I just want you to know that that you have every reason to be courageous and confident. Every reason, regardless of what you see, regardless of what your headlines see. We are not a people that give in to fear because we belong to Jesus. Jesus is building his church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Read this again. And I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. That's a promise. That's a guarantee. And the, church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Find courage in that. Find confidence in that. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you, um, Lord, just grateful for your word, that that it is a source of of courage and confidence for us. So I just pray for these men and women, uh, for all of us. I pray for your church at large, universal, not just the people in this room, but the people meeting down the street and across town and to the ends of the earth. I pray that you would give us confidence and courage and boldness to know that come what may, you are building your church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Lord, we're, we're, we're tempted towards discouragement or anxiety or fear. Lord, I pray that we would be reminded of these words, and Lord, may we not may we not huddle in fear, may we not um, retreat. Lord, may we be a people that are on the offense, that are going. May the church of Jesus Christ be a a people, assembly, and a a gathering that is committed to sharing the good news of Jesus in in wise and winsome ways with the people that you've placed around us. And Father, I pray that, that as we do that, you would continue to build your church Lord, reinforce your church, strengthen your church. Because we know the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So Father, we love you. We praise you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.